0: Welcome to three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel podcast network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Episode 59 of Djokovic and Nadal. We just took in the match. It is uh, about an hour after Nadal converted match point with a backhand down the line winner in a fourth set tie break. He moves on to the semifinals at Roland Garros. Let's uh let's go pretty, pretty vague, um, Amy. How are you feeling after that match? Um, what are your initial thoughts on what we saw?
1: That I hope it is not the last that we see between these two. A lot of reactions pertaining to this could be Nadal's, you know, last role on Garros, um, many already putting the cart before the horse. Remember, this is only a quarterfinal. But just in terms of Nadal and Djokovic, I, I, it feels unsatisfying, even though it was a great match. And I think Novak wasn't quite himself. Um, at, at times he was, but overall he wasn't himself. So I, I would like to see them meet again, possibly at Wimbledon, maybe even at Roland Garros again.
2: Well, the quality was pretty good. I don't think that the quality wasn't as high from a mutual standpoint as last year's semifinal. I think we'll agree on that. But the drama and the competitive will of Nadal and the top spin and, uh, yeah, Novak kind of didn't quite bring... It's kind of interesting. It just shows you how, how sports is. I mean, we think uh, the draining four-hour, 21-minute match with Felix, and here's Rafa and here's Novak is Daisy Fresh, and then everything gets kind of turn topsy-turvy, but, uh, uh, yeah, that's that those things happen in tennis It's very, again, so impressive from Nadal. I mean, just again, uh, Gail, what are your thoughts on this?
0: Yeah. I mean, people were very wrong about the endurance factor once again. Um, and that was the case in Australia where, uh, I know I had major questions heading into the final with Medvedev. What's it going to look like five sets from an endurance standpoint and Nadal's the fresher player. And we know what happened last year at Roland Garros. When come the fourth set, Djokovic had juice, Nadal was on empty. The intensity that these two play with when they're both playing well and the physicality of the rallies, we saw it in the first set and then the second set. They can't do that for five hours anymore. They just can't. And this time it felt like Djokovic really sagged after this really intense. High-quality second set, just like Nadal said after last year's intense high-quality third set. uh, I found a parallel in that.
1: Well, it wasn't necessarily sagging. I think some of this has to do with Nadal's foot, particularly last year, he was, he was obviously hurting. So there's a difference between, you know, endurance and not being able to keep up the physical strength and the, um, cardio and the mental strength that it takes. And, you know, your foot is hurt and you just can't move as well. Um, what, what really struck me is that Novak came out putting 45, something like that, 45% of first serves in against Rafa Nadal on Philippe Chatrier. I mean, I did not have that on my bingo card. He just really came out flat, and I, I don't know if it's something is bothering him or the fact that he got what he wanted in terms of the night match, so he felt strange about that, or the fact that he was booed, which I thought was extremely disrespectful for the defending champion when his name was called to come out on court, and of course they're going to favor Nadal, the 13-time champion, but I I, I just wonder, and then he, he got some net cords that didn't go his way, and I just wonder if he felt that this just wasn't his night, or if something else was bothering him.
2: You guys ever uh you guys ever boo at a sports event? <laughs> Did you ever boo? I never booed. Did you ever boo?
0: I've booed officials. Like I've been at a hockey game, I want a penalty, and I'm upset, and I boo the officiating.
2: Noted. That's Cal. keep that in mind for the next time we play tennis. Amy, I have to ever...
1: if I'm being honest, yeah, I've booed when a player has done something really nasty or unsportsmanlike, you know, I go boo, boo, you know, something like that. But but I'll tell you what I don't do, which drives me crazy is yelling out before somebody's about to serve or between first and second serve. And the French crowd was so bad about them. And they may not have all been French. But the crowd was so bad about that tonight. I mean, so many times I thought to myself, please shut up. Please. I've,
2: I've I've never booed at attending a sports event. A, a, going back to my pre-credential days too. I, I just I just I almost, I, I almost don't understand it. It'd be interesting to talk with people who boo, like <laughs> be around people who boo and say, "Tell me what you're doing here. What's this about? What are you I doing?" Love, I love
0: I love this conversation. I'm just going to say it
2: and <laughs> because again, it'll take us to Novak and how how his treatment and his his whole journey and the things he faces and obviously. Um, you know, France. If he's faced it versus uh, Roger in New York, and of course in London. But of course, different kinds of crowds here. Rafa clay. I mean, nobody has more of an aura at a single tournament ever than Nadal on that court. Nobody more than Sampras or Federer at Wimbledon. More than Borg here and there. Nobody than Nadal on Chatrier. And yeah, maybe Novak just felt kind of, kind of flat, and maybe the nerves. And there's a whole. I think what's neat about this about this rivalry is the way competition really is a wonderful thing because it's two people asking questions of each other and they're daring each other to be better and what makes this rivalry so incredible is over the course of 59 matches 15 years these guys have asked things of each other well what have you got what have you got and it kept and and i'm not saying this is their best ever match as much as it forces them to dig and i was looking at some of the records Chris Everett and Martina, yeah, they played probably their best match about 65 into their 80-match rivalry. That was probably one of their best matches. Rose Hall and Labor, they were like, you know, like more a uh, 91 or 100 or a zillion matches into it. And I think that's really <clears throat> wonderful. And I think that's great. But as far as Novak, yeah, not quite his day.
0: <clears throat> it's just interesting because I um, I don't think I'm as down on, on Novak's performance. Uh, I thought that... Y- Amy, you're right. He served atrociously uh, at the beginning of the match, but I think other things in his game were fine. Um, And that's why it was kind of this. There were a lot of great points in the first set. And then in the second set, the climb back from down two breaks of serve was incredibly impressive. He bared down physically. My only sense of surprise is what I said initially with the Nadal endurance thing. I was just a little surprised to see how little Novak had in the legs in the fourth set because he wasn't willing to work the point, I think, through Nadal's backhand uh, as much as as he did in the second set. uh, And he was flattening out his forehand more, looking for finishes. Did you get the sense, like it was 2020 again, in cool, heavy conditions, that Djokovic was just overplaying a little bit? And in the second set, it kind of worked like he was landing his forehand at an average of like 80 miles per hour, which is really, really fast for him, but it just didn't feel too sustainable. Did you get that Joel?
2: Yeah, I did. Like it was flat. He he was, I don't mean flat, like low energy. I mean, the ball is being hit flat. Yeah. Well, there's a relationship to, to Novak and margin that's usually successful against 99% of tennis players. And then the, the, the Nadal, the, the Nadal ball, the Nadal movement, the Nadal energy and the way, it'd be interesting to have some sort of monitor Novak's head and see how the court is looking to him versus Rafa that's different than it looks against other people and it kind of squeezes him and then he, he might miss or he might be too flat because what's the topspin, there's a whole, I mean it's part of what everybody's felt against Nadal, Federer did for years too, and, and so it's just this, this sense of where am I, where am I going? Where's my point of entry here?
1: Rarely do I pick out one point and say, wow, that was really indicative of the turning point of the match. But I did pick out one point that I thought was like a wow. And it was, see if I get this right, fourth set. Novak is serving for the set, right? Yeah. Uh, five, oh. three. Yep. You know what I'm going to say, Gil?
2: 15
1: love uh or first point of the game and Novak uh Rafa hits a drop a drop shot and my first thought is like that drop shot sucked and Novak (laughs) didn't even run for it. And then we are blessed to have Jim Courier on on tennis channel and Jason Goodall as well. And Courier says, Whoa novak that was not a good drop shot and novak didn't even run for it wow and guess what that that makes it 15 love nadal and when nadal goes up 15 love chances better than 50 50 that he's going to break you there
2: is that the first point of the game amy or the second yeah that oh, was the first, first point,
1: point of the game, of the game. Or
2: so it yeah. The yeah I, I okay yeah. I, I recall that point but uh i think you're on so
1: i i thought that was like why, why didn't Novak run for that? Why did he, t- and, and on the replay, you can see he just turns his head and turns away. And, and I'm like, that is so unNovak like, so I just want to know why.
0: I, I, I mean, I, I think he was, I think he was really, really tired. Uh, in that fourth set to my eyes, he, his legs were were kind of gone and, and Rafa still had it. I mean, That's kind of how I interpreted that. But yeah, it it was telling and he did end up getting a set point. And then he had uh, he made a on set point. The first backhand unforced error was right in his sweet spot. I mean, perfect contact point. Nothing about the backhand was difficult. And he hit the top of the net and then he got another set point. And by the way, he served very well in this fourth set. So Djokovic I think gave himself all these opportunities to win the fourth set, mostly on the back of how well he served and hit his first forehand. Uh, he got another set point. He had a backhand, an approach shot. It was there for him. Yes. If he hits a good backhand down the line approach, he wins the point and he was cagey on it and he hit it too close to the middle of the court and Nadal passed him.
2: So maybe as I'm thinking about things about Novak and his sharpness and his fatigue. Maybe the battle of Roland Garros was won on the earlier North American and Australian hardcourt season. And Novak's lack of match play, which we thought was keeping him fresh, even though he had his clay season, his competitive thing. I mean, I know I'm going back months, and so that could be wrong too. But I think of in other years, Novak has seasoned himself with more than just European clay tennis any, any and see,
1: I, I'm thinking like, sorry to interrupt. I'm thinking like counterintuitive how we thought, oh, Novak's just breezing through this tournament. And he had such an easy time of it against Schwartzman that maybe he wasn't properly conditioned. And here's Rafa doing five sets against FAA. And suddenly he's in the shape of, he's peaking at just the right time. It's almost the opposite of what we had been thinking.
2: Well, this is the whole dilemma with these kind of some of these assessments you are right about court time on court, ease of matches, the difficult match. Um, I remember the U.S. Open when there used to be the Super Saturday and you had the semi who got the first semi and who was likely to play well in the finals. And it's kind of one of these things like hell's bells. And now it's the (laughs) matchup and we don't always know. And we want to think you can know it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of reminds me. It reminds you on a way more different scale of the time. Remember, Amy, when you and I, we, uh, we tossed the racket to see if it was going to be M or W? We yeah. Did it 15 or 20 <laughs> times. It's like, oh, it's more Ws. But it's like, who knows? So it's kind of, and it's kind of one of the things that makes sports great, right? It's like we can have all this data that makes us think, you know, the less time he's on the court, this guy's more, this guy's older, this guy's got the foot, this guy beat him last time. And then, okay, here we go. And now we just play the match.
0: Let's not forget, not only did Djokovic not play any long matches in the lead up to uh, this quarterfinal, he did not play any long matches in Rome either. He, he didn't drop a set. It had been a long time since he lost a set uh, after basically playing every match as long as possible in, in Belgrade. So, yeah, that's a fascinating thing. Like, how much do you want to play? in the lead up to this match, can you be undercooked? I, I I think you can be Uh, but at the same time, I, I don't know. I'm, it surprised me. I don't think we will really know exactly why, uh, Djokovic's legs went on, went on him, but also let's acknowledge that. I think the position that Nadal put Djokovic in, which was a set and down three love, with perfect tennis that Rafa played. I mean, you could talk about what Novak did, but Nadal was pretty perfect. Uh, That put Novak in a position where he had to expend an unbelievable amount of energy to not go down two sets to love.
2: That's exactly, that's a great point. That's a great point. So he really had to just go to the bank heavily to get even this match versus this guy on his court. And there's this whole, I mean, I don't ever know why anyone loses a match. I mean, when you talk to people, even they might not know. I mean, they, I lost it because I lost these points. I don't know exactly why. I mean, you can verbalize it, but even that doesn't begin to get at it completely. And uh, yeah, Novak, you're right. He had to dig. And then the whole, whole emotional factor of playing this guy and on that court. And I think, I think this whole thing, right. We've, we've talked about, about the heaviness of the ball, the thickness of the ball, what helps Novak, what helps Rafa.
0: I'm still convinced that Rafa can say he likes playing in the day, all he wants the heavier and the slower it hurts Novak. Um, and I, I don't think it's so bad for Rafa who has the power to hit through it uh, with his forehand with a lot of margin. So that that's where I stand on the conditions then uh, any tactics. I mean, we talked about a couple of things before the match. We talked about um cross-court forehand in 2021 uh, being very, very successful, putting Nadal in his backhand corner. Uh, we talked about Djokovic having to hit that difficult backhand-to-backhand backhand return. Don't think he did it in this match very often, right? I mean, he missed a lot of returns trying to hit it, uh, but, I mean, Nadal was hitting first ball forehands off of his first serve, and and Rafa made like 70% first serves as well, Amy.
1: Well, the only set where Rafa... Um didn't have it that way was the second set Um, otherwise he was hitting first ball forehands and I guess somebody went back and looked at it and last year when Rafa lost to Novak he hit overall more first ball backhands than forehands so that was that was a huge key in this i just want to back up and say one last thing about conditions and i keep bringing up this study that i did i i dug up that study we did it in 2020 i pinned it on my twitter if anyone wants to go to my twitter um we we not only found that there was no real statistical difference for rafa and conditions on clay um but actually, Rafa plays slightly better in cooler conditions. So, can we please put this to rest, people? I don't want to hear one more person say, "I'll oh, disadvantage Rafa at night or cooler conditions." Anyway, back to the first ball forehand. Um, that is so crucial for for Rafa, and if anyone has any ideas about beating him, they need to return that ball to Rafa's backhand, if at all possible, easier said than done.
2: Here's the other thing I'm gonna come up with, with my uh, super genius theory. And these guys are both super geniuses, but I think my study of talking to people, the, the great, great players, the ones on the A and A plus list, in big matches, they do something a little different than the pattern. Novak is a great pattern player. Most players, Nadal is too. They all are. But the super genius is they do something through various points that breaks the pattern. It doesn't just help them win that one point. It plants plants seeds of doubts about the whole court. And I think when I look at this matchup, when Nadal wins it, he's able to do things. There's, There's things he wishes to attempt that he'll let himself attempt that kind of break it up, whether it's okay, whether it's down the tee, serve down the tee in the ad court, or the drop shot, or the sudden like trading backhands, and then he's going to just kind of annihilate a backhand, and he does that more than Novak when he's in their good matches. I think he's got a little bit more of the unpredictable, so it's a, a form of disruption. Novak is a little bit more patterned, and I think that's what kind of over time in some of these matches cost him, and I think... And I think again, his uh, his yeah, his slight, somewhat fatigue, and maybe you know he hadn't played. He has. Yeah, when was the last time we played a three-hour match? Much less a four or five-hour match. And he knew, and he put in again, so much effort to even the match after that through mm-hmm. that second set. That's emotional. That's everything.
1: Mm-hmm. And there were some super long games. I oh. mean, I think there was a stretch of two games that was almost thirty minutes. They're, I that's mean, correct. And, and then, then Rafa's going to make you wait anyway. He takes so much time between points. It's draining. It really is.
2: Yeah. And Nadal was like, okay, yeah, I signed up for this. Good. Let's go. Yeah. Or, and so some of this comes down to attitude and, and I mean, I've been thinking a lot about players and how all sorts of pros and how they reach certain points of their career where there's certain kind of uh, vulnerability And then I trace it way back to when they might've been 10 years old and how they went about, how they were formed competitively and what shaped them, whether it was the teacher or the parents and how they grappled with losses. And of course, and there's no one in the history of 10, well, Australians are pretty good about this too, but it's hard to surpass Nadal's competitive comportment. Not just that he wins, but how he goes about it and how he doesn't let himself feel victimized and how he doesn't fritter energy. Uh, Fritter Energy. I was I was writing about a player the other day and I said how this player be interesting for this player. I thought about this, played a practice match. And every time they did a negative thing in a practice match, the coach said, Ah, ah, you know, that's another, you know, and that was constantly arrested. And Nadal, you could see that was so baked out of his. There's nothing in that in his operating system. That that helps too.
0: As we said uh at the end of the last show, this is Kind of a weird feeling because it's such a big match, but now you just, you know, next up, semis. <laughs> so now it's, now it's, um, it's about coming back from that match for Nadal. And obviously, if he does not win Roland Garros, which considering the opponents, the opponents in front of him, uh, would be, I think, pretty darn disappointing for Rafa. Um, you know, he, he, he won't look back on this quarterfinal win over Djokovic with any fondness if he doesn't complete the the job. Uh, I mean, this feels like for most players, it would be really, really mentally challenging. I just can't bring myself to be at all concerned about how Nadal is going to deal with with this mentally in terms of avoiding the letdown in the semifinal. Uh, Amy, you, you worried at all about that?
1: That is excellent analysis. If it were me, I I mean, (laughs) just good night, Charlie. Yeah. I mean, like I I got through it and, and, and and this is how I am as a player. It's hard for me to string together back-to-back wins, but um, for Rafa, you know, it's just part of the routine, you know, shape shape the water bottle get it turned just right and and step over the line and go on to the next thing now i he's going to have two days off and i do think that that's good for him for other players maybe they would reflect on that and and let down but i I, because of his you know advanced age and and the foot i do think it's going to be good did did you guys see the doctor sitting in Rafa's box? I think he had a better seat than Rafa's wife.
2: (laughs) Well, he, yeah, he needs that better seat. He needs a better seat. He needs to, he needs to see it closer. He needs to see what's going on. He's got his patient out there. And Rafa's wife gets that too. It's all good. Um, I think Nadal will be playing that match on his 36th birthday, by the way, like he did in 05 when he played Federer in the Friday semi. And that'll be nice for him. But I think, I know what you mean, the part about completing the job, Gil, and here's a chance to garner another in 22 slams. Maybe I'm, I, I just think Nadal, I think that concerns him not. I think the job, the, the, the Nadal's idea of completing the job is, that I prepare well? Did I compete well? Did I um, conduct myself well? And then what will be, will be. And if Zverev comes up with the goods to beat him, Nadal's, I don't think Nadal's mind's going to be, Oh, what an opportunity. I beat Novak and then I lost to a guy who'd never want to slam. I, I don't think Nadal exists in, in the commentary world. I think Nadal exists in the, con- do your thing. And of course he would be disappointed if he lost that much, but I think he's, I think he doesn't even let, what's great about Nadal and these great players is what questions they put in their head and what, you know, what, what topics they assign themselves. And, and the assignment is called recover. Like, like Amy said, recover, water bottles, practice, Time off, eating, cheesy you know what I mean? The little things that define the Rafa ritual.
0: I'll half agree with you. I don't think he cares about the opponent. I don't think he's going to be like, I lost to Zverev. Like, no, I don't think that's in him. Um, But I do think he'll be like, oh, I didn't win Roland Garros. And that's disappointing. So I'll meet you halfway. (laughs)
2: Okay, all right, yeah, of Boy, course.
1: Yeah. That's a big hypothetical you guys are <laughs> playing out there. I mean,
0: um, oh, I, 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 yeah, well, yeah,
1: I get it. You're talking about what if he loses, but I mean, that's that's almost like a, a very low chance scenario. I mean, um, He's
2: very low. I mean, well, you, I mean you think it's, well, but it doesn't, but it's, it's a scenario. I don't look at it. Yeah, it's the scenario. a scenario. I just don't think one we should spend scenarios. too
1: much time on it. I mean,
2: I'm not, I'm not a Rafa. I'm not here to advocate on behalf of Rafa's procession into history. I'm here to, it's, it's one of two scenarios. Yeah. The other scenario is that he's the familiar, he's the Rafa we know. And he, and he comes out there and he does what he does. And then we, and then we see Zverev who, by the way, played a, um, Excellent match to beat the ascending Alcaraz, which even yes. though it's seeded higher, um, most many myself included were surprised because you're thinking of Alcaraz was this kind of you know prodigy of destiny, and here comes Sasha saying, "Hey, wait, wait, middle child, middle child, don't forget me, don't forget me." Yeah,
1: yeah good point, Joel. Um, yeah. What what's even more interesting that which we really should not get into, but we will get into it potentially, is that if Rafa does go on to win Roland Garros and Joel, you're the author of this, um, does he play Wimbledon when he might not have otherwise, just because the calendar slams in play? It's it's yeah, fascinating. We're, we're,
0: we're saving that. I'm gonna step yeah, in now. Yeah, right, right. We're gonna, we're save, gonna
1: save it. We're gonna save it. But Joel brought it up last episode. So I had to like okay. bring it up again. Good, good. Sure. It's a, sure. it's
2: a, it's a, it'll be a fun one. It'll be a good one for the, uh, for the post, whatever Rafa, well, if he wins and okay to be continued okay and, so, and
1: i before before we wrap up because I, I just wanted to say one more thing um i just want to give rafa his due in this match because in this podcast i don't feel like i've given rafa his due the defense and it's easy to say like the level wasn't there because the guys seem to be hitting a lot of squash shots and stuff just know that those squash shots um the ball wouldn't even be still in play against other players. So both guys, but especially Rafa, the level of defense in this match was just incredible. And he's great and he's awesome. And he and Novak are why
2: we do this show. Okay, Roger. Roger sitting at home. Yes. Probably yes. Watching it. I don't know. We, they, yeah.
0: Look, I mean, usually we do a big preview on the next opponent. You know, we've gone long enough that we're not going to do that here. Um but, okay, uh, it's going to be a challenge. He's got two days. That that was a great point. It's going to help him physically. We're not too concerned mentally. Alexander Zverev, though, he serves huge. He does not miss a lot. His backhand is just incredible. It blew me away against Alcaraz, how well he hit his backhand. What do we think this is as, um, as far as a matchup um, for an Adal, Joel? Do you think that, their See, games fit together?
2: I think if I'm Nadal, after getting through Djokovic, I think, oh, he's a big serving version because he sort of does something similar to Novak, not as withering accuracy, not as fast, not as good a forehand, but knowing Nadal, of course, he's going to say, well, he's, he's beat me before. He beat Carlos. He's big. He's strong. I mean, Rafa, Rafa always, everybody gets the highest possible valuation from Rafa. Everybody's viewed at their A plus. However, if I look at his X and, and O's, I think it's just you dig in and you do your thing and you make this guy work his butt off and covering the court and so I, I think it's a I think it's a comfortable matchup for Rafa. I don't think it's as much of a the ascending Alcaraz who we don't know or or um, or certainly Novak. I think it has a, but not Rafa won't think of it that way. He wouldn't think he he could play any of us and and say something incredible. Oh my God, got to watch out. I mean he, that's his way, but. I feel it's pretty comfortable for him. Amy, what do you think?
1: I think that Zverev gets on this train of high percentage of first serve in and high percentage of first serve points one. And if that train derails, that's a problem for Zverev. So for Rafa, he's just got to figure out how to get inside the guy's head and derail that train. And if you do, um, he should, you know, I, Rafa owns the head to head. He should know what he's doing. He should know how to handle it. But um, again, um, this is one where both of them have questions about endurance, but um, with two days off, I would favor Rafa in that category.
2: Yeah. And I'm curious to see what kind of game plans of actually hatches because it's like he's knowing. oh, it's he's not going to
0: be too intricate, Joel. I mean, he, he plays a, a certain way, I think. And I, I don't see, I, I don't think he's one for very, uh, specific. Agreed. Tactics. Tactical,
2: tactical nuance. He's not going to suddenly start hitting kick serves and angle volleys. He's pretty much, I mean, what's this is, this is the deal. This is the way the arcs work with these tennis players. You know, is the freshman who could become a Rhodes Scholar. Oh, my God, look at this guy. Zverev, we've kind of gotten the sense, we've kind of taken the measure, and now it's just a question of whether he can execute and do enough things. But we've kind of gotten a sense of what his game, what comprises his game. And this whole thing, Amy, you pointed about the serve. I mean, what a what a variation, Zverev, between that first and second serve. And when he's not feeling it, that's, that's, that's strange for someone that good.
1: Yeah, it's mind-blowing. I mean – Literally, I, and I track my own serves. I am not going to tell you my age, but I am a, an intermediate recreational player. And I cannot believe that sometimes I serve the same speed that he does on second serve. It's true. Noted.
2: There yeah. we go. There yeah.
0: We- uh, don't, he, Nadal needs to not make the same mistake that Alcaraz made in, in, in big moments, pressure moments you have to make him beat you with his forehand uh, because Zverev had a lot of backhand winners on big points in that match. And you got to really say, okay, I know you can do it on your backhand. Let's see if you can do it on your forehand. That'll be a key for Nadal. Uh, The head-to-head is 6-3, to Rafa. Zverev has a knack, though, for playing Nadal at his least favorite tournaments. Uh, He beat him at the Tour Finals in London. He beat him in paris bercy And then he beat him in a place where Nadal is good, but Zverev is best um, in terms of at least recent history, which is Madrid. Zverev's best tournament has been Madrid, and Zverev beat him in the quarters uh, last year. Um, And then Nadal beat him in Rome. So 6-3, we will get that in the semifinal. We look forward to that. It'll be an interesting finalist on the bottom half. I mean, we're talking about potentially Rude or Rune or Chilich or Rublev. (laughs) Uh, We'll be in the final, all right? So uh, looking forward to bringing you continued coverage. Now it is Rafa alone in Roland Garros 2022. That'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate if you leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.